Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Derek here. Today's episode is all about fiche Video games, in other words. How they fit into our lives. What they sound like. And who they represent. Obviously, we take a special interest in how Ireland and Irishness are represented in video games. If your touchstone game is Tetris, or if you think the pyramids are used for storing grain, don't worry. I'm right there with you. I'm not, I'm not much of an expert either. But we have much to learn from our two expert guests today. But first, today's episode of Motherfuck Lore is brought to you by the show's supporters, Patreon. Supporters like Ginger Snaps and Adrian McElhom, Kurt Mila Magov, Adrian August Ginger. Supporters of the show get access to bonus content, which they can watch live or follow up afterwards. Discount codes on art and products, different products relating to the Irish language, which change frequently. We're always finding new people to bring. And a range of other features which are being added all the time. They can also get access to our Discord server, where they can chat with other fans about the show, pitch us episode ideas, all those things. And now, off the show. From the Headstuff Podcast Network, welcome to Mother Folklore, a podcast of words, Irish, Irish words and words from Ireland. I am Derek O'Shea. And I'm Pather Aquivonic. How are you getting on, Pather? Yeah, not bad. Uh, finding this lockdown interminable, but, you know, acquainting myself with some new and old video games to try and pass the time. You're not, you're not much of a gamer, are you, Derek? I'm not. My the, the Joe, who was the best man at my wedding, used to be the video game critic with the Irish Times, and he was a great advocate of how of how wonderful video games were, and how I was a bit, my dismissal of them was um, was unfair. But I mean, I can see how it's a bit of crack. Like we, I, I used to have Tetris on my computer um, when I was growing up, and I found that was very enjoyable and interesting. But I think there's more to more to video games than this. <laughs> I think I think it's it's fair to say that uh, it, there is more to it than that. Like it, it's it is it's a it's an it's not. I mean, I'm doing it a disservice by saying it's a valid art form. It's an excellent art form. Like it's interactive storytelling. I I love it. I really enjoy it. I enjoy the escapism of it. I, I find as I get older, my imagination is suffering. Like when I was a kid, I had. Uh, I had spaceship games on my Super Nintendo and I would play I would play Star Wing through from start to finish and then and then I'd play it again and pretend that I was, you know, flying a fighter in World War Two and then I'd play it again and I'd be back in the spaceship and now my imagination is so shit I can't play last year's FIFA because it's got the wrong players. 
I, I, oh. I'm really, really, really struggling. But thankfully, video games are getting better. And we have brought in some people who know more about video games than than you, definitely, but also than me. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also just happen to be uh, acclaimed best-selling authors. Um, we've got <laughs> Sarah Maria Griffin and Una Minkavana. Falt your life. Hi. Hello. How are you both getting on? Welcome to Motherfucklore. Thanks very much. Yeah, it's great to be here. So I have a question for you both. Who is your who is your favorite Irish video games character? Okay, Sarah, because you were mentioning this beforehand, I'll let you go first. Because <laughs> I'm curious. <laughs> this is gonna require a bit of a stretch on everybody's part. So what I would cordially invite you to suspend your disbelief and come with me on a journey where this is a likely uh, factual case of Irishness in a video game. Okay. But I'm gonna straight up say the horse that belongs to Link Link Zelda, whose name is Epona, named for the Celtic <laughs> goddess of horses. Epona is Irish. Oh. There you go. I dig it. I dig it. Facts, man. Does Epona have an Irish accent? <laughs> uh, I'm not fluent in horse. I've actually only got a couple of words. <laughs> but I feel like she is. Yeah. That's amazing. I didn't think of that curveball. Yes. <laughs> and I mean, who, do, you have a, do you have a favourite character or? Yeah, so I was thinking about this and because there are so many characters that are, to be honest, truly awful. Um, I kind of a sort of a cop out, but a legit character. Um, Liam Neeson plays a character in Fallout 3 called James. It's a protagonist's father. And he basically just plays Liam Neeson. And it's wonderful. And it's great because he uses his own accent. And there's no reason as to why he's using his own accent, uh, because it's set in the US. And But there he is. And it's uh, I would say out of all of them, like he's pretty solid in terms of characters. Because when I noticed that he was, when I initially played the game, I was like, yes, I know exactly who this is. He's not even trying. It's great. absolutely but yeah i don't know you see that's just liam neeson being liam neeson but he's not like he's an american scientist like in the same way that liam neeson playing liam neeson is an american cia operative in the taken series i know but i feel like if he tried an american accent to be terrible yeah no it would be awful and i think in fairness if we're going to allow the horse from hyrule um we have to allow liam neeson from fallout 3 do we have worst ones do we have do, do we have do any? We have Are there many at all? You know, this like that's my big query is that like we do we appear in the medium? Like, is the medium so young and so um within a very kind of hedge amount? Well, it's not. There's a lot of it, it's exploded, obviously, comparatively recently. But like, there's a kind of a a, 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 a hegemony of characters, really. There's kind of just like one uh, or homogen uh, the other one with H. Um, Homogeneity. Thank you. Of characters, like you don't see, you see a lot of whiteness, certainly, mm-hmm. but you don't see a lot of Irishness, you know, um, which I think is super, super compelling. Like I think it's a really interesting um, absence, most notably because we see a lot of like pastoral landscapes used. We see a lot of lush green environments. We see a lot of fae. We see a lot of um, visual representation, which could be like a mystical iteration of ireland but we don't see ourselves i think yeah and i think those few representations that there are there uh of irishness uh, azuna ming you were saying just a, a few minutes ago there are some bad ones out there 
I mean, some of them that spring to mind, like the character named Irish in Red Dead Redemption, um, who is a drunken, drunken philandering scoundrel. Uh, and then there's Sean Devlin in The Saboteur, who's a drunken philandering scoundrel. I think, are we, are we in danger of being really typecast here in video games? I think we've already been typecast. Speaking of the saboteur game, to be honest, like, first of all, the accent is absolutely diabolical. And one of the lines he uses when he's um, carrying a bomb is, nothing to see here, nope, nothing special, ignore the mick with the bomb. Like, come on. (laughs) (laughs) Are you serious? Like... No, I just I just found it so disappointing. I found it so disappointing around the saboteur that it was the performance was such a letdown because the concept was absolutely stunning. If anyone hasn't played it, Paris is in black and white. And as you liberate each banlieue from the Nazis, it goes into colour. So the closer oh. you get to liberation, the more of Paris is in colour. It's an absolutely stunning visual concept, but it's ruined by ham acting. <laughs> <laughs> one of the worst Irish accents but acting in video games is a comparatively recent phenomenon also because like mm. if you think about the video games that I don't know Inamin and I are kind of the same age like that we would have grown up playing like voice acting was the first video game that I, I played that had voice acting was Final Fantasy X and I promptly fucking turned it off again because I was so struck by how uncanny it was I didn't like it like so when we when we have bad voice acting and bad accent work from the part of some misfortunate actor who signed up to a role in a video game. We're also coupling that with that weird, uncanny delay that you see in even the best CGI renderings of a human face. It will always look wrong. It will always feel wrong. Like the games that I play are tend to be way further down the artsy indie bullshit kind of vein of things rather than the the realistic, because I find unstylized photographic renderings of human faces really like upsetting so if you couple that with any sort of ham-fisted acting how is that meant to be an escapist experience like how are you meant to voyage to another realm when you're like oh that just looks like a sock puppet man like that's bad at least if it actually looked like a sock puppet (laughs) you could be going on like an adventure you know so i don't know i have a lot of very strong feelings about uncanny valley and the gap between us and the screen um yeah and i think i i think it's a thing as well it's a sad state of affairs when you know, if we hear that a character is going to be Irish in a video game, then we yeah. instantly wince. <laughs> like, that is not oh. the reaction we need. I think the, the Irishness in video games usually kind of falls into about five different categories. You have like Irish locations in games, then you have random Irish characters in games, then you have Irish, actual Irish language games, and then Irish mm. games made in Ireland. Um, yeah, and which the, there are yeah. lots of ones that are really, like, we, we have an amazing uh, fledgling industry here uh with people making fantastic work mm-hmm. yeah i realized i said four instead of uh five there but the other <laughs> category that i meant to say is like just an- random irish things that are like randomly shoved into video games too but i guess they kind of make sense but- oh that's that's my favorite that's my favorite <laughs> especially if it if it harks back to we've had a discussion on this podcast before with orlan Ghoul about representations yes. of of Irish as a stand-in mm. for fantasy languages, and, and totally, oh yeah. man, when I see this in video games, I I trip balls. Like that's my favorite. Like The Witcher Three, <laughs> when you go to yeah. Skellige and it's like half Norse, half Irish pseudo mythology bullshit. I'm like, yeah. yeah, these words might sound cool to you, you triple triple A game developer, but I know what it fucking means. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
That's it, yeah. And it's just, it's really it's a real shame as well when these things appear in your favorite games. Like one of my favorite mm. games is uh, the Persona series, um, and they use uh, a lot of Irish mythology in that. They have Cúchulainn and Satanta for some strange reason, but anyway, um, and they have Scawhawk as well. But it's just kind of like, huh? It's just there. Why? <laughs> so- I'm also totally fascinated by how our our experience, like our video game canons, are probably all very different as well, Heather and Una. Like we probably have all played very very different games like my mm. like I've never played Persona I've never there's loads of games that you've even mentioned and I'm like nope I've, I've not played that one um, but oh thank I god a- I was being I was being quiet because I thought I was uncool no I think everybody's personal I feel like the video games people play tend to be as intimate as the way that we use playlists do you know mm-hmm. because there there isn't like there are AAA studio games which are kind of Advertise like I worked in GameStop for two years or uh, unnamed video game store for two years. <laughs> so I know what it's like to be sort of at the front line of like games that are very uh, intensely pushed by developers, like AAA titles that might be big budget or whatever, the Grand Theft Autos of the world and what have you. Um, I feel like that's even a very dated um, description because we haven't had a Grand Theft Auto in forever, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But then from that, there are all these tendrils of different uh, genres or different kinds of video games. So the vid- there, there isn't really like a, a canon of work that we can all can we can all kind of mutually go. Oh well, we've all played this, 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 this. Do you know mm-hmm. our roots into the medium and the things that we play are likely to be super, super different. Yeah, that's, you know? that's really true because I can't even. There's some games that I know that people rave about, and I'm like, I mean, for example, I still haven't played Red Dead Two. Um, I have never played a cowboy game. Well, there you go. <laughs> exactly. No, no, ma'am, I can't. I, I, have, I have a very uh, hard line on video games with sad men. <laughs> as a as a sad man, um, I really enjoyed. Uh, <laughs> I really enjoyed Red Dead Two. I thought it was a massive, massive leap forward in narrative storytelling in the medium. It actually mm-hmm. genuinely broke my heart even though i could see uh, i could see the developments in the story and i could see the eventual ending coming a mile away i was still shook when it was done and it has it has some positive and negative um portrayals of irishness in it as well like there's a, there's one of the main groups of antagonists you face are an irish gang and that's just it like there's no there's no other character traits to them that mark them out as specifically Irish other than their names and they're just Irish and that's it. And that's, that's great. I really like that. That's a positive portrayal of Irishness because it, it doesn't mark us out as weird or different, or it doesn't mean that our Irishness gives us a particular flavor in the game. And then one of your, one of your cohorts, one of your other people that you work with in the game is a reckless drunken buffoon who's a big red-headed Donald Gleeson clone from Dublin. And you're going like, ah, well, all the good work you did with the bad guys, you've just undone with one of the good guys. But still, highly recommend the game. I mean, it's just, it's You know, I've it's, heard tremendous unreal, things. I think. It feels like a very long commitment as a piece of work though, right? It's a fairly sizable, uh, like hours-wise, you know, like... Sometimes I look at the, the I look at the length of video games that I used to play when I was a teenager, and I'm like, eighty hours, man. Where would I? Hmm. Who has I that? To, <laughs> I, I have to say, I'm a massive fan of longer games. <laughs> I do. I do. Yeah. 
I have yeah, like, probably sunk 500 hours into Animal Crossing at least, so I can't really talk. But uh, <laughs> I find it very tough to get convinced to a longer game, like, aside from Animal Crossing. An- Animal Crossing, I was, there's, a, there's a podcast I like called Unorthodox, which deals with um, with uh, Jewish concerns. It covers a range of issues from a, from a Jewish perspective. And somebody worked out, if you if were an Orthodox Jewish person playing Animal Crossing, how to create an Uruv on the island so that you wouldn't break Sabbath. God. A lot of stuff happens on Sundays in Animal Crossing wow. as yeah. well. That's really interesting. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot to I have, it. You know? I've never played. It's dangerous. Just dangerous pastoral bullshit of the highest order. Like it's bucolic nonsense, but it's um, been great during lockdown. It strikes me as something you really get sucked into. I mean, because I think that there's these things where you, it, where I can see where there's this, an escapist element, and I know that there are some um, games that are on people's phones, which have where you're you're creating your own little farm, or you're creating something like that, and particularly if anything has a, a, a added purchase element, <laughs> but that can be really a dangerous yeah, part to get sucked the, into. I, I do think that there's a, a big market, market is such an ugly word, but you know what I mean? That's the mm. big demographic available for non-violent gameplay also. Hmm. Um, so I can, I think that the wide success of things like Animal Crossing is actually due to the fact that people who wouldn't normally believe video games to be for them because they're not interested in shooting things, um, it's a very welcoming environment because it doesn't require this um and i know video games have now gotten to a point where they're like even within the games are like critically looking at you know what is it to commit violence within this fiction um but animal crossing is just like very chill and i think that's a that's nice you know calls people in right Mm. oh yeah Uh, totally yeah Definitely. So for me, what would probably turn me off something like Red Dead Redemption would be the idea of a game that's narrative is driven around violence and uh, or that the gameplay mechanic is shooting things. I'm just not, um, it, it, I struggle with it, you know, in a way that mm-hmm. I probably didn't previously. Of I think that is great about video games as well is because it, there are so many genres to choose from, like whatever mm. your interests. In terms of having the casual aspect to it, I don't even really like using the casual aspect because sometimes people think that's a negative thing, but I don't think it is at all. You know, there's kind of like hardcore gamers, casual gamers, and we're already like, there are barriers when it comes to those kind of things. But when everyone, when anyone brings up the th- thought of being, you know, video games and violence, I always direct them towards Farming Simulator, which has like mm. esports tournaments and competitions yeah. to them. You know, when you're on your tractor and you're having the time of your life. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, it's so great. It's fantastic. I think the, the language around casual is so interesting as well because it's deeply feminized and it's diminutive. But at the same time, yes. like mm-hmm. I play video games literally every night. I'm playing a game at the moment called Even the Ocean. I'll play that for I'll play it tonight, probably tomorrow night, then I'll be done because it's very short. Uh but I on average will crack through three or four indie games a month, you know. Um I play games all the time. In my time off I watch esports, you know, but they're just very chill esports, you know. <laughs> so uh <laughs> It's just um, it's an odd it's an odd medium that's still kind of discovering itself, and there isn't really a critical theory, let alone um, the the critical theory that we use to unpack video games, like in this way where we're looking at representations of Irishness, say, or trying to parse out representations of Irishness in its very sparse occurrences. We're using the language of cinema or the language of literature to describe something yeah. that is neither. And this is this is that's actually a great point, and that it does seem that uh, um, journalism about video games is very much in as it is about podcasts. While we're actually on the topic, is very much in its infancy and fine the vocabulary. And about that, I just um, Pat, I just noticed here there's over 423 entries uh, in, on Terma.ie for video game terminology. There you are. Yes. There you go. <laughs> I bet Una Finally. Main wrote half of them. 
Ha! I wish. I always prompt them though when I'm con- I need another one. I'm like, hello. <laughs> and an advanced block is our block oil. I use that a lot. I, I don't even know <laughs> what an advanced bell? block is in, in, in English. Uh, What's a bell? Bell it. Like a cligging. Uh, yeah, a cligging. I guess in Animal Crossing, it would be. Oh, a cling- yeah, definitely. Like that's your yeah. currency, is a cligging, right? Oh, so cute. I'd love it. Oh, my is God. That great? I yeah, love that. that'd be so great. Oh, Let's use that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely, yeah. You're, You're dealing cligging. So I was doing a bit of research for this one and one of the things that that, that Unaming just mentioned there was video games set in Ireland. Yes. So I had a quick look to see how many video games are set in Ireland. And uh, yeah, an awful lot of them are sports games, obviously, because oh. with all of the oh, Tiger Woods yes. PGA Tour games, you can go to the Irish yeah. golf courses. And with the rugby games, you can play against Ireland in Lansdowne Road. Uh, I think there's even, I think, Croke Park uh, or Lansdowne Road. One of the other is in one of the Madden NFL games. Um, and of course, there is the daddy of all Irish sports video games, uh, Gaelic Games Football and Gaelic Games Football 2 and Gaelic Games Hurling featuring Micheál and Warehouse party it was and that is i will say without doubt the worst sports game ever created <laughs> yeah i was going to say a tragedy <laughs> that, that's a real shame because there'd, there'd be a real if that was done slightly well there'd be a real market for it or there'd be certainly there'd be a real audience willing for it i can see particularly in a time like now when you know it, it's it's august and a lot of people would, would, would otherwise be looking forward to uh, an all-ireland right now that would have been ideal, yeah. But I think yeah. it was because it was in the mid-noughties or something that it came out. I'm not sure. It was in the noughties, I feel. And the graphics mm. were probably really bad and it just <laughs> didn't look very well. <laughs> it, di- it didn't It didn't look well and it didn't play well. It was really, really clunky. I, I bought the first one, Gaelic Games Football, and I couldn't bring myself to buy the sequel or the hurling game because it was just so poorly executed. And they, they fell foul of the, um, the same problem that college sports games ran into in the US. Basically, you can't if an athlete is making no money off the game you can't go and use their likeness so because the GAA was an amateur organization they couldn't use real players and you know every kid wants to play a sports game as their heroes in that sport like when I play a baseball game I want to be the real Boston Red Sox when I play a FIFA game I want to be St. Pat's like when I when I was Dublin I didn't want to be Dublin player number 13 you know what I mean? I wanted to be Jason Sherlock or I wanted to be, you know, they, I wanted to be the real players and, and it didn't it didn't allow for that. So, it, yeah, it fell fell on its arse despite, uh, despite uh, Michal O'Meara Hartig's amazing commentary. That is, there's Dublin player 13, his, his father's a butcher and he'll cop you up <laughs> and, and so forth, yeah. I presume they couldn't possibly get at those kinds of jokes. So the, the, uh, he's the, his last man who'll ever let you down is his family are undertakers and Gary Zavine. I love it though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, they, he did have a few gems in there. I remember at halftime and the players go in there now for their cup of tea and half an orange. <laughs> a mandarin. Good old mandarin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sort you out. A mandarin. A mandarin. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in the games that are set in Ireland, there's a handful of them that really stuck out to me. Um, there's a, a one called Clive Barker's Undying, which oh, is a video God. game written by the guy who wrote the Hellraiser franchise. Okay, I watched Hellraiser on Friday night. And, and it's set entirely in Ireland. No way. 
Yeah, it is. Yeah, sign me it, the fuck no. up. No, it, it's it's pretty it's pretty special, Sarah. <laughs> oh, but, but the thing is, like, so I watched Sarah being fully prepared for like raw camp, and was just like, "This is one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen in my life," and was like crying during it. So I feel like my tolerance for Clive Barker might be a very different um, gradient to, to other people. Uh, I, I deeply appreciate the kitsch. Is it like like what kind of bad is it though? It's a horror FPS, and okay. It just, oh, Okay, but f- see, the problem is, is first of all, the name of the main character, who's called Patrick Galloway, which Ooh. is obviously not particularly an Irish name Galloway. to begin with. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, and he's going around doing his wee investigation around in the 1920s. So what year is this made in? Uh, the, oh, I don't know what year it was made. I'm not too sure, actually, about oh, that. It came out, in 2000 and, came out in 2001 or 2002. So that would have been PS2? No, it was a PC, I think. Okay. It okay, was a PC, PC game. Yeah, yeah PC. See, I, whenever I hear about a video game yeah. from the past, I'm like, what year, uh, what, what console, it, does anyone talk in it or is am I allowed to just read it? You know, like that's my big barrier. I'm like, is, gonna, is this going to be somebody talking or can I just read this? You know, I don't know if there's any voice or... acting in it. Like it's, it's from this. No, I haven't. I have, find it now. Ming, have you played it? You've played it. Have I you? have not. No, I haven't played it, but I've watched many clips of it. And let me tell you, it was worth it. Yes. <laughs> Just for, only for my own research, you know. Even but stream it, man. Come on. No, stream the I, shit out of it. Experimental you know streaming. I'd actually cry. I think I'd just be <laughs> wincing in the corner and just being like, I can't. We're going to take a break from this painful subject to let you know about another show, which you might be interested in, which is brought to you by the Head Stuff Podcast Network. I don't have all the details, but basically... My name is Stephanie Preisner and my podcast is called Basically with Stephanie Preisner and I have guests on every week who explain things to me because they're experts and I'm not. We've had people like Pascal Donoghue, the Minister for Finance, explain what it's like to be the Minister for Finance. We've had on Taoiseach, Micheál Martin, explain what it's like to be Taoiseach. Luke O'Neill explained coronavirus, uh, a nurse explaining what it's like to get coronavirus and then loads of things that aren't related to coronavirus at all at all, like politics and being a child actor if you like finding out about things listen to basically with stephanie preisner but if you are looking actually sarah for if you are looking for a game where it's mostly text-based and set in ireland folklore is probably a good shout for that yeah did i read about this recently well i love it because so they actually pitched it in a really funny way (laughs) it's set in the fictional town of doolin Oh yeah, Dylan is real. It's thankfully mostly text based, so that means like we obviously don't get so many weird accents. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's uh, it's it, now it does have that kind of stereo. Ah, she then Patter, you like this too because it, though it's set in Dulin, you know it focuses on this Celtic other world of Irish mythology. <laughs> of course it fucking so. does <laughs> but you know what's particularly great about it in the cutscenes because I was looking I was like how are they going to get now how fictional is this Doolin like what are they going to do with it mm. where's the hotel at like <laughs> yeah I know right and what they do get right which is very random and amusing is that you know the way in I know d- down here anyway our signposts are like white with black outlines to them Yes. Uh, yeah, so they get those in them. I was like, fair play. And also they have um, our Irish post, post boxes, which I'm very happy with. You know, the oh, that's ones. good. That's a nice detail. Oh, green post boxes. 
No, sorry, not mm. post boxes, telephones, the, the white ones, you know, the ones, the classic ones. Oh, yeah, another one. But like what I like about folklore, uh, what I find hilarious about it is that like um, they've done that level of research to get the signposts and the phone boxes right. But like it came out in 2007 and they didn't fucking Google to see if there's a real place called Doolin. Oh, do. <laughs> like, yeah. Just, mm, will we will we just make sure there's no place called Doolin? No, it'd be grand. It'd be grand. <laughs> no, Throw it in. It's grand. It's no yeah, problem. I think they probably, they probably did it like base it on some, they probably did see a name and thought that sounds very good but I know that when I was reading some reviews of it and they were saying like I can't believe that this isn't a real place and everyone was like uh, actually you know uh, just look at Google there now you just have to do a quick search and like oh my god it is real fair play <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's but like it. the idea that these games that are set in Ireland that like have any sort of gradient of the island that we live on that they they're, they're curios rather than mainstream titles or even like widely known indie titles do you know like it's beyond left of center. Like I remember feeling, I feel like which bio, you know, I mean, you've played Bioshock, right? Uh, I have played some of Bioshock Infinite. Yeah. Yeah. I did not enjoy my Bioshock experiences, um, but there was one of them where there's the opening sequence is that you have to watch like the public stoning of an Irish uh, yeah. man whose partner is a woman of colour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's infinite. Uh, yeah. It was literally <laughs> at that point that I was like, fuck your game and I started off and I was like I hate this now um I was like not interested don't fucking try and do edgy shit at me but I thought that was a really compelling use of, like use of Irishness do you know not like an interrogation but more of a way to show white people and frame them in a sort of exotic manner do you know yeah like a yeah. white person but like not really like a white person do you know which is such a bullshit construct anyway which is why I was like, I hate this game. I'm out. There is actually a great example of Irish accent acting in Bioshock Infinite, funny enough. Um, but because uh, he's played by an Irish actor, which always helps. It really yeah. does. Oh, yes. yeah. It's almost like <laughs> we're a whole nation with people who they can employ, but you know. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. And I, I don't, I never understand that because there are still very few people who can do the accent right to, to an acceptable level. And I, I've heard people try over and over. And I'm, I'm sure that I'm also terrible at doing an American or a British accent. But if I was going to do something, in, especially in AAA games like Bioshock Infinite or whatever, I would absolutely hire an Irish person because you can afford it. You can, you know, you can afford all these great actors to do the job. So I never understand that. As well as the fact that, and, and it's one thing in, in a film, you might have a case where you, the star is the draw and they, they, they say it's easier for like Jared Butler to have a go at an Irish accent than just to get someone with an Irish accent who might, people might know. And I know that say, whereas in a video game, very few people buy a video game because of the star. So they can actually just go ahead and get a voice actor who can do the, who can do the work. You know, you're dead right. We don't have like... Generally, there isn't like actor, like we don't feature actors in video games in a way that's meant to be a draw. But Hideo Kojima pulled that recently with um, Norman Reedus and uh, what's his oh, name? Matt yeah, Nicholson? yeah, that new game. Yeah, Death Stranding. Been playing it. Death Stranding, the Amazon delivery box dystopia game, um, where you play Norman Reedus who walks around with a jar on his belly, which has a tiny baby in it. Um, that's what I've gleaned that it's about. Uh, but that. <laughs> The unusual thing about it as a piece of work is that it, it, that was undeniably Norman Reedus. Like that was the actor as the model, you know, like that's, that's who that was, you know, that's the face oh, and that's, everything. That's, like there was no, that's been done quite a, yeah, that's been done quite a bit recently though. Wasn't Ellen Page um, in a video game? Uh, yeah, she was in Beyond like Two Souls. Heavily featured. 
Yeah, and uh, and what about The Last of Us as well? It's, it's very clearly con- her as well. It, yeah, the first one was not not so much the second one. Uh, yeah, oh, okay. I can see where they got away with that uh, for the second one, but definitely the first one, her likeness was pretty clear and they got in a lot of trouble about that, um, even though, uh, you know, it wasn't actually played by her technically voice actor wise um, but she did have her own video game with um, what's his name William Defoe um, oh, Beyond yeah. Two Souls and they both played like the, the likeness was they were both them um, so yeah that was a that was an interesting oh speaking of Irishness sorry just for two seconds particularly in that game one of the lead characters was called Aiden um, but they mispronounced it so for the entire game you hear Aiden weird oh, oh yeah. Christ I know it made me really sad. <laughs> like so much money goes into the development of these games, the big ones in particular, the big studio games, and and yet just simply researching like how to do that right, and it makes me think when you play a game that has other elements of other cultures in it, how much are they getting fucking wrong? Like that this I don't even it. realize. I think that the I think the writing departments of AAA studios are chronically underattended to in a way that is heartbreaking because to write the people who write video games are writing from a very different medium point than anybody who writes narrative fiction or nonfiction or anything. Because to write a video game, you're writing in a sequences of choices, you know? So choice-oriented storytelling is super complicated. It's a very, very different medium. Like, so the people who have to do this kind of writing have to be like really on the ball. But unfortunately, in a lot of AAA games, the budget simply isn't put into teams of writers who are like, always the most artistic you know or, uh, or, se- or sensitive to those kinds of concerns <laughs> and what, what yeah or like research oriented the money the budgets get pumped into the visuals this actually this brings up something though as aside from animal crossing the game i've seen discussed most online is some people have described it as a kind of a, a comment on colonialism it's the untitled goose game oh yeah <laughs> fabulous uh, in right. which case yeah, yeah. This thing, not not just Australian, but obviously it's set in an English village and the goose is causing trouble. And in the end credits of the Untitled Goose game, it says, this game was made on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay respects to their elders, past and present. Sovereignty was never ceded. Thank you very much for playing our video game. You love wow. to see. You love to Get see. In. Nice. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, so, like, it's, it's not very often you see stuff in. like that. Completely. And I think it's, it speaks to a lot of the fact that, I mean, so when with a lot of video games, when you have, as you say, choice-based decisions, makes decision-based storytelling, sorry. <laughs> and then, well, obviously, in addition to Irish characters or, or characters from others, there's also a lot of games have a colonial, colonial, particularly maybe set in space or otherwise, there's a, a colonial undercurrent, which is often there, which, and the decisions that are awarded often reflect a certain colonial mindset. Would that be fair to say? Oh, absolutely. Like, you know, collecting items is accruing capital, mm-hmm. right? You know. <laughs> Turning people to coins and taking them. <laughs> coins, <laughs> like Clichini, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Or Clichini. Uh, mm. There's a the game that is just very interesting with that accruing of capital and that idea of, like, conquering, right? Um, is a game called Donut County. Oh, so good. So good. You play as a hole in the ground. It's amazing. If you you just go around. Do you play and as a hole up. in the ground. You play you as do. a hole in the ground. It's absolutely phenomenal. Like I think the two games that most directly on the nose, kind of a I don't know I don't know if this is like a wild statement, given that there are games literally called things like Command and Conquer. But for me, <laughs> games that are two games that are kind of more directly about capitalism and the accruing of capital, um, is a uh, Katamari Damacy. 
Oh my god, it's another great game. <laughs> Banger, right? You just mm-hmm. collect, you roll a small ball around. The story of Calamari Demancy is like a myth, right? The king of the cosmos came home drunk one night and he tripped and he fell and he knocked all the stars out of the sky. And you're his tiny son and you have to roll a magical ball around the planet Earth, collecting loads of bits and pieces and then throwing it up into the sky so it can become stars again, right? Okay. Lovely story, dead simple, but you just collect stuff. You just roll it's around. Just, That's just it. Gathering <laughs> stuff. You just stuff, stuff. The only matter the stuff is, is just collect all the stuff, right? Whereas Donut County is your hole in the ground and you disappear stuff. <laughs> right? Uh, and Donut County is written in such a way that it actually is more overtly about corporation. You know, the body is an evil corporation and people gathering stuff is not a good thing. So I think they're both, while well, they're both kind of quite cartoonish and. Um, illustrated in a very intentional kind of stylized way they both have like a commentary at their hearts like the Mm -hmm. goose game you know Mm -hmm. a work of perfect absurdity which is made by a team of people who are incredibly mindful of politics so it finds its way in right that intentionality and observation like it finds its way in you know, can I just go back to Katamari Damasi there? Yeah, you're the protagonist is is literally a a royal, like an upper class nobility person who needs to accumulate more shit, plundering, destroying, knocking things over. Some of the things are even wow. people. Yeah, you just but it's very sweet. That's, the music is amazing. You're tiny. <laughs> uh, you're so small. You're so tiny. And uh, your dad hates you as well. Like he's fully just like, you, my stupid, <laughs> tiny prince son. Did you get me many swans to turn into the star? And this, oh, it's not enough. Fine, I'll take them. Ugh. And so, then he sends you to get so more. And he hates you. Like, like a kind of cute imperialism, like the way the Brits think of the British Empire. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, adorable imperialism. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> <laughs> It's actually a really brilliant it's game. It's, it's really, wonderful. really unusual. Like it's it, mechanically, it's not really like anything else except maybe Donald County, which is inverted. <laughs> there was a game I used to play, and that's um, which I've avoided playing, and that I probably would not have written two books if I had. Is Civilization, in which you can play as different um, as diff- different nations in history, and and that's been widely criticised for rewarding colonial mindsets, breaking treaties, taking stuff. And conquering the world being possible, seen as a, as, a, as a suitable objective to the end of the game. But it's, but some people have said that they've um, they've actually learned a bit about history and geography from playing Civilization. There was a, a few years ago during a presidential primary um, primary debates, one of the Republican candidates thought that the pyramids were food storage because he'd been playing Civilization and oh. you get a granary in every city. <laughs> Uh, you get a granary in every city when you build the pyramids wonder in civilization. But then at the same time, though, I often see people who have, um, I guess, uh, kind of wise quotes in maybe in their bios and their on LinkedIn or even Twitter, you know, where they'd say um, uh, it is not like Darwin saying it is not the, the strongest of species that survive, but only the one those uh, most adapted to change. And he was like, oh, that's very, you're, you must be very well read. And it's like, I, he got that from civilization. He's faking it. <laughs> <laughs> but games like that, games like that have been absolutely brilliant. That does the, the, the thing. I can't, is, could games like this possibly be used to teach uh, Irish or increase knowledge of things like Irish history or even the Irish language? Like, could, oh, yeah. do people learn, actually learn factual information about World War II from Call of Duty? Oh, that's, that's, a, that's <laughs> okay. a, that feels like a separate question as well. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
I was just using that as one example, obviously, and I'm not sure. I know that some some games have more detail than others in this regard. I know that there's a, a simulation game called uh, Crusader Kings and Crusader Kings 2, which is like you're, you're a medieval royal and your goal is basically to propagate and to accumulate more territory. But it's become famous among uh among players of the game that uh ireland is the easiest place to start because <laughs> you don't even get invaded you don't even get invaded until 1172 so you can you can you can plan and you can build your dynasty in one of the irish kingdoms beforehand uh, so much so that the nickname for ireland in crusader kings 2 is tutorial island uh, but it has led to an awful lot of people who have played this game learning a lot about medieval irish society because it's it's very very accurate around the dynasties and the kind of succession the religion the culture at the time like it it's it's a very historically accurate game when it begins and then then you get to fuck around and like marry your daughter to the byzantine emperor and like make alliances and shit like that and you know you get to play around and create an empire in your own in your own image but uh initially mm-hmm. it's very very historically on the nose and it's taught a lot of people a lot of stuff about ireland interesting i haven't played that myself now i have to say but uh, it's very do you think they're they are actually learning about it or is it that they're they're learning about it so that they can utilize all the information to be better at the game if you know what i mean Oh, definitely the latter. But, you know, if you're learning, this is, you know, as, some, as someone who used to be a teacher, if they're learning, I don't care why. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, 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 hopefully not. People wouldn't have the bad taste to make a 1916 computer game or. I or mean, would I would or? be surprised. Like, we, live, we will live to see the day, you know, like. Should you invade the post office or the biscuit factory or the hospital? <laughs> 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 or start somewhere else? Maybe bomb all the train stations first. From the makers of Theme Hospital and Theme Park, it's Theme Easter Rising. <laughs> no, yeah. it's going to happen. It's a lovely day in, in Stephen's Green and you are a horrible revolutionary. I think there's one thing that I'm just waiting for is that whenever I see Irish characters in video games, I'm just really particularly tired of them explaining that they're Irish for some reason. They always bring it up and I never understand you why. Know, it's like we can tell from But that's accent. a whiteness thing. That's <laughs> so. that's a hundred percent a Americans uh like it's 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 all Amer- it's right, it's an American repackaging of Irishness, right? Largely. So it's a hundred percent a differentiation within whiteness. Like it's grotesque, frankly. Um that like they want to represent more white bodies on screen, but they want to do it in a way that feels like there's a slight difference, but not so much that they'd have to like make them French or anything, do you know? Um, and Irishness allows an implemented yeah. characterization of, you know, the stage Irish or the American perspective of Irishness, which is, as we've discussed, drunk, dishonest right all those like fairly non-dangerous stereotypes largely they're quite kind of mild but it's i think it's a hundred percent uh to do with that it just doesn't uh, that's why they state it there's there's so many weird connections as well because i know that when i remember playing when i was playing tekken growing up and then when they when i finally realized i had to bring this up because it's just one of those weird things when i finally realized that apparently nina and anna williams were from uh, non specified if it was the Republic of Ireland or Northern Ireland from their fandom page. But when that, the fact that they're Irish and their strange backstory, it just didn't really make any sense to me. And sometimes I feel like there's so much um, afterthought being shoved into it. But you're right, no, Sarah, I think it's just it's just weirdly packaged all the time. And- exactly in the same way that largely if you as if you're in America, an American will immediately tell you that they are Irish. 
Mm-hmm. It is the same thing. It's yeah. a, it's a, it doesn't mean the same thing to them as it does to us. And I got to say, it does hurt a bit, I think. Oh yeah. You it's, know, it's, it's, it's exhausting. It's just like, really? Again? Yeah. Okay. It's having your entire culture used as the yeah, acceptable true. face of whiteness. Yes. That's it. That's totally it. A hundred percent. And I think it's up to us. And I think we all largely do a fairly robust job of it being like, nope, that's fake, fake idea. Don't do that to us. Nope, 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 nope. Don't do that. No, thank you. Uh, we've got our own bullshit over here. You leave us out of We really have enough. We're culpable for enough bullshit in American history without... We have enough on our fucking plate without your nonsense. But we are culpable, like, because there's a culpability there. Big style. (laughs) But like... And yeah, it's this Im- implied for it's it, it impl- like again, like when I saw it in Bioshock, I was like, oh, fuck this. Like I'm not like you. You can't um, uh, Irishness is, as an accept inverted commas, please. Like uh, acceptable uh, whiteness is such it's such bullshit. And reproducing that rhetoric within video games is super annoying because we should be past that, but we are not. So you know. yeah. And then yeah. when it comes to video games, actually, the representation of video games in Ireland, it's really frustrating because I find that the media yes. doesn't take it seriously at all and they don't they still don't get it, mm. which is one of those things where if I'm asked to do something, they're like, yes, but like, what's a video game? And it's like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> sure, one of, the, so, one of the most watched streamers in the fucking world is from like Mullingar. Mm-hmm. Do you know? Yeah. Like, Jacksepticeye, arguably has the uh, more viewers than any Irish influencer alive, right? But do does the Irish press not like not that I'm saying you should I'm pleased I'm not like standing anybody here, but just objectively, it's nuts to me that we don't as a country like acknowledge as a media, don't acknowledge it or the fact that massive esports people are coming out of this country and they're just not even being looked at at all. Yeah. It's terrible and it's really frustrating because even I was speaking to someone recently about this and there's an Irish speedrunner who is a top in the world for Metal Gear Solid in his category, MGS3. Um, And I wrote about him. Yeah, yeah, and he does it on the hardest difficulty and he was invited over to um, GDQ, Games on Quick, one of the biggest events in the charity events world that raises millions. It's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's so good. But like, no one covered his story and I couldn't no. believe it. And I was like, why, you know, this is a real deal. This, These are amazing achievements that Irish people are making, but because you don't get it, you, you're not willing to reach out and acknowledge it. And it just makes me really sad, especially when we have record record, record holders in Ireland who are there just behind the scenes doing the thing. And it's it's depressing. <laughs> so the, I, I think what you're saying is actually more specific and it's frustrating to me too. And but I, I'm not even a streamer in the way that you are, you know. Um, but in the way that uh, I think it's a little bit to do with like, the youth of video games as a medium. So between, let's say, for argument's sake, Pong, right? Mm. And today, it's about mm. 41, 42 years-ish. I could be wrong any pedantic people who want to treat me on Twitter to tell me that I'm wrong about the exact year. It's 40-ish years, right? Um, in the history of cinema, from the first little black and white, roly like, pictograph things to Citizen Kane was about 40 splash years. Yeah, from, like to, the, yeah, the, from the Lumiere right? brothers, yeah. yeah so yeah. timeline-wise, yeah. So timeline-wise, we should be, not that I'm saying we should be coming up on the Citizen Kane of games, the Goose Game, the Citizen Kane of Games. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I'm saying exactly that. 
But in terms of the evolution of a medium, the evolution of art and the like, when a medium figures out how it it it, it works, and then people start to be able to use it as a tool of expression as well as just a functioning entertainment machine, then that's when we start getting the real good shit, right? So when does the study and the discourse and the media actually emerge in a mainstream way around that? Probably not for another, like, good couple of years. Now, keep in mind, technology accelerates and the internet and whatever adds a very, very different layer onto that conversation. But I don't think we're likely to see a video games column in the Irish Times anytime soon. Now, sting me. Like, please prove me wrong. But it still feels newer to most people than it actually is. I know they, they had one for a while and they just continued. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I've just, sorry, I'm just going to pull Sarah up on our dates there. Would you believe it's closer to 50 years? It's Please, 48 sir. years since Pong came out. Jesus, okay, so. <gasps> but, so our Citizen Kane mm-hmm, would have been a couple Exactly, of years but that said, film studies mm-hmm. kind of really only emerged in the 20s and the 30s. So like you say, 40, 50 years after the, the medium was unveiled for the first time, people started, Born. you know, caring about it enough to write about it. Exactly. And we live in a, a culture that is more... Uh, like everything's moving so quickly. Like there isn't critical language around YouTube, say there isn't even dedicated, like highbrow broadsheet writing about YouTube, though it has more figure. It has more viewing viewers largely day to day than like RTE. Do you know what I mean? It's a, there's a disparity between who's producing the media and who's consuming the media, especially with video games, because like, it is true that people it, don't play them of a certain age you know and even like because when clive james died recently they were talking about how there's no real like t- like the, you didn't have tv people writing about television much before he came along and that, that was an entire sec- section of the newspaper that barely didn't exist until until they effectively let him have a go at it because he, they couldn't let him be the film critic for some reason because of the internal politics whatever newspaper he was writing for at the time and now obviously people often find maybe that, that the actual like say the patrick frains like kind of tv journalism and things like that are often people's favorite part of or something people go straight to and there's a there is a discourse around people the way we talk about television is completely different because the way once they they eventually changed the way they wrote about it people wrote about it and it took that moment i mean maybe i think there was things were different than in print media when there was a certain amount of pages to be filled or slots to be filled and it all works differently now Mm. but it's it i think i think i've I've, I've written about it in podcasts at the moment. You don't generally get kind of podcast. Most articles about podcasts are like, what is a podcast? You know, they used to just this, but now there's some interesting podcasts being made. And you think that's um, in, in the, the third decade of podcasting, you expect kind of a little bit more detail. Well, like, I was, in podcast yeah, wise, like I was a roadie for Welcome to Night Vale in 2016. Yeah. 16? Yeah. And uh, that was like, podcasting was a very different world back there then, right? But like when I started, I I wrote about podcasting every week for the Irish Times for a year until the formatting of the the ticket changed um, and five columnists were let go, Um, which is kind of normal, like things change over. But something I've heard, so I chat away to the the lads who, to lads in podcasting, (laughs) lads in podcasting a fair bit, but there isn't really that much mainstream newsprint coverage of podcasts. And, uh, that doesn't always go back to, has anybody uh, listened to serial? 
Yes. Serial anybody. <laughs> Do you know? Because that's the only one that broke through. This American life, my guys. You know, like there's, <laughs> because there's so much choice out there, similarly to YouTube, that the podcasts I listen to are never going to be the same kind of podcasts as you guys listen to because we can be so selective. However, if you think the people who run legacy media listen to podcasts that aren't the big serials and the Mar- this American lives of the world, maybe Radio Lab at a push, you're wrong. Of course they don't. But you know, I think the I think the thing is that you don't eat, like for a lot of music critics and, and and for me growing up, kind of watching things like Top of the Pops and stuff when you know, when I, when I was let, there was there's no real official podcast chart and that people that you can say yes this that say if if a show drops eighteen places in the charts or goes up twenty places in the charts over a week like that would be a big story in music and it would be something people would would talk about on a music show, but you don't get that in I guess in in podcast reviewers the idea that they might talk about something being a certain show being as big as as a headline show on Today FM or RTE, but they won't talk about, oh, this show's been steadily growing for the past, you know, three weeks, that there's a real buzz around here. So you, you never, you never really get kind of people talking about as trends as they happen in podcasting. No, podcasting is, I believe, is one of the last subcultural mediums because, again, people will only listen to what they want to listen to. You know, it's something, I think it's YouTube actually and podcasting are, uh, inherently subcultural, you know, and that is why they're not getting covered in the way that, um, mainstream, um, God, even saying mainstream media makes me feel kind of gross, but I don't mean it in that way. <laughs> you don't, I mean, it that, I mean, I'm not being a Joe Rogan about it, you know what I mean? But like, I mean, that literally the, the mainstream media, um, will cover it. I think it's kind of beautiful, really, that podcasts remain this, um, outpost, you know, the sort of wild west where you can kind of just make a thing about something that you care about. And maybe, maybe loads of people will listen to it, or maybe just the people who really love it, or maybe like five people, do you know? So I think the medium has endless possibilities. I think um, with podcasting and with video games, one thing that like ties the two of them together is that I don't think it's possible for a kind of a genre of journalism revolving around them to develop in the way that TV journalism or film studies as an academic study or even film critics uh, as a as a as a piece of, of as a piece within the media i don't think they can develop the same way independently because everything is now connected and everything is instant and everything is personalized mm. and you have subcultures within subcultures. You didn't have that when somebody started, like Clive James started to write about telly for the first time. Yeah, like shows even came out Charlie every Booker, week. There was a he week. can't write a regular column. No, there was a week mm. between shows. Do you know what I mean? Now, if I want to write like a really sharp yeah. cover story on like Russian Doll, I got to watch all that shit in one night and I got to make sure my thinking, like, I mean, TV critics in the year of our Lord 2020 blow my mind because that is a harder schedule than anybody had to keep. So you can't do a podcast because they show up too quickly, you know? Yeah. And we've seen what happened within, within video game journalism. There's oh, a toxicity so. as well out there. You know, what's your take on that kind of stuff? In, in terms of video game journalism yeah. or the aspects? Because I, I know when I had to... When I obviously I was really interested in video games in general, but I know when I was kind of um, touting myself as focusing in on just video games, there was like, yeah, you can do that, but you also have to do the entertainment side of things. So we're going to expect you to write about the Kardashians, and I was like, 
oh, okay. Um, mm. So what percentage of articles do I have to write here? It's like, yeah, you know what? Maybe one video game article and then maybe 30 articles that are not to do with video games. And that was really hard and depressing because it kind of, when you're told that you're, you're I suppose, what your work or your passion isn't good enough for what what the audience wants or whatever. It's kind of like you're not really giving it a chance because it could be what they want. But the fact that you're, the ratio is so low, you know, how how is it ever going to be the thing that they want in, you know, in the long run? So um, I think that when you're working in entertainment writing, it's really tricky because like, Patter, you're saying like you can't just really focus in on one thing you're kind of expected now to be an all-rounder at least with um different topics i feel you rarely mm. get journalists who focus in on a singular topic and if they do it's because they've already built the profile for themselves to do so which is fair 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 enough like you know they've, they've gotten that far and it's great but it makes it much harder for people to break into of course the industry which is hard enough as it is um because there are exceptionally good video game writers like yourself, Sarah. Um, Thank you. Yeah, Yay. fantastic. No, I love reading this stuff. I can't believe but... I'm allowed to. I only get to do it once every couple of months. But that's the thing. It's not like I'm a full-time games writer. It's just like every so often there's a little spot where I can go and do it. It's very um, passion-driven because I can't yeah. hang my hat on it. I simply can't. You know, I got. I have. I occasionally write about video games to The Guardian um, and uh, I pitch all the time, do you know? But like, you know, yourself, you have to make sure that pitch like I'm, I'm really bad at pitching because I'm I write long things I write <laughs> it's novels daunting you know? anyway <laughs> pitches are short and hard <laughs> real hard but you know every so often one sticks and also there's a that there's a timeline do you know what I mean uh, and within the crushing moment that we're in, in in journalism at the moment budgets are really really tight mm-hmm. do you know so it's it's not a it's not a cheerful time to be writing for any newspaper. But I think, uh, Petter, were you going to say were you going to bring up Gamergate before before I, I, I scooted us all <laughs> off left field there? Sorry. No, just just the yeah, look, just just the toxicity around Gamergate and uh, like it's just another it's another sort of stumbling block out there. Um, just the the fact that that exists, that misogyny, and the associated racism and all sorts of just horrendous, horrendous shit um, that is unfortunately associated with gaming as a subculture, that that's out there as well, which is another stumbling block in the way of progressive voices trying to make it a mainstream experience, if you know what I mean. Oh, absolutely. Did you guys watch Gamergate as it happened or were you late to the late to the tale? I was late to the tale. L- There's so much going on. Yeah, no, I was I like, was, Likewise, uh, I was late to the yeah, tale as well, but kind of on I, hate to te- I hate to tell you, but I watched that shit unfold. Oof, I was okay. living in San Francisco at the time and I was gripped by it. Absolutely gripped by it every day watching um, different posts going up and the raids. And it was really, around the time I was considering trying, because I was, you know, near enough Silicon Valley, a lot of game development studios are out in um, the Bay. And uh, I thought maybe I might be able to vaguely approach trying to write about games back then absolutely ran a mile 100% ran a mile from it because I was like this is 100% not worth it um ultimately what I think it's about aside from misogyny because that's what it's about um is that it's about people who perceive video games as consumer objects right um and the the growing hostility over the years around games not being satisfactory i.e featuring too many people of color or featuring inverted commas political agendas i.e equality of some description not even parity like but you know approaching 
Mm. progressiveness and the pushback that you see from the consumer market treats the game like a imperfect or in some way uh, faulty object rather than as an expression right so and you see that as you go into kind of star wars and other sort of i use nerd culture very loosely here but you know what i mean there's an entitled consumer demographic who are if the if the if the toy they bought is not satisfactory they will shout about the toy which negates all of the game studies it negates all of the talking about them in a critical way that's like uses film theory or uses literary theory it completely wipes it out and it stops the conversation and when gamergate happened it actually i think it really halted a lot of fledgling uh theorists and cultural critics who were coming up through the ranks they were especially women and queer people and people of color were like absolutely fuck this no way and quit do you know because the working environments and the working conditions are too hostile if your readers hate you then why are you writing for them right yeah so before we um wrap up and obviously that, that there's a whole there's a whole topic in gamergate there as well you both um Ming and sarah both have books out at the moment excellent books which our, our listeners would love to know more about maybe you could uh before we wrap up you could get it just uh, to tell us about your, your most recent book oh yeah, sounds on, like, go for it, yeah this sounds like we're pitching yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah um yeah i suppose um yeah i wrote my book last year my god um on Shaw is the name of, of it even though i pronounce it on so but anyway sure look um it's a book on my childhood growing up in uh kerry uh irish kind identity and racism and just generally things to do with the irish language so it's it's a memoir it's a short read a quick one you'll probably read in one uh one night but it, it's kind of one of those tributes i ultimately wanted to do uh, for my granddad and my mom. So yeah, that's it. Fantastic. And Sarah? Uh, I write books too. Um, my two novels, my two works of fiction, I guess, are Other Words for Smoke, which uh, came out in 2019 and won the Irish Book Award for Young Adult Fiction, and uh, Sparrow and Vampires, which is a queer retelling of Frankenstein. It came out in 2017, I think recently um but not that recently uh, yeah those are uh, that and my non-fiction uh, collection of essays not lost should be available in all the bookstores um you can also follow me at grifsky on twitter where i post good memes or bad memes but you know great stuff spicy memes spicy, spicy. Memes. dank memes crunchy yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> the crunchier the better yeah. Thank you both so much for educating me on games and the world around them. And I, I hope our listeners enjoy that. So until next time, it's a slant from me. It's a slant, Ramsha. Slant, Tamaline. Slant! Excellent. Mind yourselves. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Mother Folklore. And thank you so much to Unamain and Sarah for being such great guests. Motherfucker comes out every Friday in the Head Stuff Podcast Network. If you're looking for some other Irish language content to keep you going, we're very happy to recommend some other stuff that's happening at the moment. Every week we like to put the spotlight on another Irish language creator. This week I'd like to tell you about a podcast called Daily Dose of Gaelga. It is by Clean and Ecolog and it focuses on leading search subjects, uh, strophic tour, poems, things like that, and is quite accessible. If you want to support the continued production of Mother Folklore, visit patreon.com forward slash Derek. People who support us on Patreon get access to bonus material, 
discounts, and a range of other goodies. That's what we're doing. Thanks a million to Kirsten Shield for doing the artwork this week. Thanks to Brian for production. If you want to contact the show, you can contact us at motherfuckler at headstuff.org. That's our email address. At the Irish Four on Twitter, that's me. And we have a Facebook page too, Motherfucker Stroke the Irish Four. In the meantime, Slong Fall. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network. You're so small. You're so tiny.